Well, thank you that you're here. And, um, well, hey, um, uh, a couple of things real quick. We've got a, member, a, a class after this uh, for our parents, but, uh, you know, invite parents with your kids that want to know more about what baptism means. And that's happening today after the second, after this service. We're going to have peace there. We're going to have a short little class, and it's going to be great. We're going to have parents there with the kids. We're going to go over baptism because in a couple of weeks, it's our baptism Sunday, March 1st, and if you're here, you're thinking about taking that next step in baptism, and what does that mean? Uh, we invite you to know more about that on the back of your connection card. Fill that out, and uh, let us know there's a little place where you can say, hey, I want to be a part of the membership, uh, the baptism class on March 1st. And um, we're praying for over 20 people to get baptized on that Sunday, and I think we're going to be close to that number, if not more. And so if you're one of, one of those that say, hey, I need to take that next step, this would be, this would be a great Sunday to make that decision and to go forward in that, in that decision. And so, well, hey, listen, we're in a series called The Grudge, The Grudge. And, um, and we're going to talk about some very challenging stuff in today, very difficult topic. But before we dive into it, I've got a question to ask you. How many of you in this room, and if you want to raise your hand, that's okay, but how many of you in this room, you love a good miracle story? Right? You love it. You love hearing a good miracle story. We like watching movies that has a good, happy ending, right? We love it when God shows up and when he shows off and does something powerful among us, and we see that. But here's a second question, and this might be a challenging question, and don't raise your hand here, but maybe this is a question you can relate to. Do you often feel like everyone else is getting a miracle but you. You feel like everyone else is getting a miracle, but you're not seeing it. You're not getting it. Maybe you know somebody in your, in your life groups. And someone in your life group, they come in with a great testimony. They talk about, hey, man, we started tithing on Sunday, and on Monday I went to work, and unexpectedly the boss gave me a raise and a promotion. And you're like, man, that's awesome. That's great. Everyone kind of celebrate. But at the same time, you're like, man, I've been tithing for years. And I barely can pay the bills. And, and you wonder, where's, where's my miracle? Right? Or maybe you've got a friend, and they've been praying for a miraculous healing. And God shows up, and their cat is saved from imminent death. And they've got their miracle. And at the same time, you were praying for healing for someone. And they weren't healed. And instead of being healed, they, they passed away. And you're like, man, where's my miracle? Where's our miracle? Maybe you've got a, a friend, you know, and, you know a, a, a good girlfriend and, and she dated and a not-so-good boyfriend. And, and, and she finally had enough. And she, you know, by faith, she breaks up. She took a risk, breaks up with a deadbeat boyfriend. And after she breaks up with that deadbeat boyfriend, three days later, you know, she meets a, a, a brand new, super awesome, amazing, godly, incredible young man. He looks like the son of Brad Pitt. And you're like, wow, you know, <laughs> she, she took a step of faith. And, 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 and this guy, this guy's so super spiritual. He's a super, um, he got two-thirds of the New Testament memorized. And uh, three, three weeks later, you know, the guy proposes to her, 
and somehow they win a free honeymoon and, and they're memorizing 1 Corinthians chapter 13 so that they can declare their love together in their upcoming wedding. And you're like, man, that's awesome for her. And you, on the other hand, you know, you took the same step of faith and you broke up with your deadbeat boyfriend and you haven't had a date chance, except you've had a date with Ben and Jerry. You know, that's it. You know, eat an ice cream. That, that's all. You're like, where's my miracle? She gets one. And where's mine? Where are you, God, in my life? And so what do you do when you find yourself disappointed in God? What do you do when you feel like maybe God let you down? And I don't know what it might be for you, but maybe for some or someone you know, maybe with the baby that they've always dreamed, or maybe with the baby you've always dreamed of having, the baby never ever came. And maybe it might have been the engagement, engagement that you believe that was going to come, and, and that engagement had not come yet. It could have been the miracle that you believed with faith that God would do for you, and yet God still hasn't done with what you know that God can do. And you're like, man, where's my miracle? What do you do when you don't even want to say it out loud? Because, you know, out of reverence for Christ, for reverence, out of reverence for God, but you're wondering, God, and where are you? I mean, deep inside our hearts, we're crying out, God, where are you? Why are you not showing up for me? Where is my miracle? And then you might find yourself disappointed with God a little Maybe angry at God. Or perhaps you're holding a grudge against God. It's not that you don't want to trust him. I mean, you really, really do trust him. You just don't, maybe you're just having a hard time trusting him right now. You're having a hard time because you believe God could do something. And yet he's not doing that something. What do you do when you realize you're holding a grudge against God? Now, here we are. We're in the third week of our series. The first week, we talk about forgiving the smaller offenses, the smaller petty little things that holds us back, that weighs us down, how to deal with those things. Because if we're we're not careful, we'll always find ourselves being offended by something. All you have to do is look on social media and about halfway through the page, You'll find yourself offended. How do you handle that? We talk about that in week one. Week two, last week, we talk about how to forgive the bigger betrayals, how to deal with those that hurt us deeply or wounded us deeply, how, to, how we deal it when someone has wronged us. Today, we're going to talk about how to forgive God. How to forgive God. What do you do when you realize you're holding a grudge against God? God. Now, to be technical, and I want to make a disclaimer here as I say this, and I think it's important for us to understand, we don't technically ever forgive God because God, he never sinned. God has never done anything wrong. So, so to say we forgive God, it would be slightly, just slightly unfair, but there are those of you in this room you need to reconcile with God. There are some things you've been holding on to, a grudge that you've been holding on to. You feel like you've been wrong. 
You feel like God didn't do what he could have done? You may need, you may need to let something go in your life. Or, or by faith, you may need to learn to trust him again. And so we're going to deal with this. What do you do when you feel like you've been wrong by God? Where is God in all this? Where is God when life doesn't seem to make sense? If you're taking notes, here's the key thoughts. It's on your handout notes in your program. There's pens available if you're looking for pens. It's right in front of your chair. It's kind of tucked into the side. But it's pens there if you need a pen. And here's the key thought. Whether you see it or not, God is always on the move. Whether you see it or not, whether you feel it, whether you hear it, whether you, whether you know it or not, he is on the move. Just because you may not see him or hear him does not mean he's not aware of your situation. Just because you do not feel his presence does not mean that he's not with you. I've said this before. Just because God is silent, it doesn't mean that he's absent. And to illustrate this thought and to illustrate our message today, I want us to deal with one of the more challenging stories in the Bible. And, and I got to be honest, up front, I got to tell you that this is not my favorite story. In fact, I'm not a fan of this story. I don't like this story. But I think it's something that we need to learn from. And I, and I hope that we can challenge our hearts, challenge our thinking. And this story here does not have a happy ending. But we're going to talk about John the Baptist. And if you don't know who John the Baptist is, he was... Jesus' cousin. He was the most radical prophet, preacher, as you can say, that, you know, one of the most radical prophets that you could ever imagine. Wore animal skins for his clothes. He ate locusts, ate wild honey. That was his lifestyle. But at the same time, he was really, really popular with the common people of, the, of, the, of Israel. They loved to go to him. Why? Because he loved to speak the hard truth. There was nothing politically correct with John the Baptist. He just preached the said the Lord, the word of God. He was not afraid to say what needed to be said. And it was that attitude, that mindset of John the Baptist that got him in trouble with King Herod. And here's what happened. King Herod, the king of Israel of that, of that area, he was... Uh, he was married, and while he was married, he started being interested in his brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. Herodias. Now, before you know it, King Herod divorced his wife and married Herodias. And this was a massive, massive royal scandal. I mean, it was on all the front page of all the local newspapers, you know, major, major Major scandals happening in the royal house. And so John the Baptist, you know where he's at? But he's right there, knocking on the door of King Herod. He's telling him, man, this is not right. This is a sin. Herod, you're making a big mistake. And, and, and the wife, Herodias, she hated John the Baptist. She hated that he was all in their business, you know, preaching truth into their life. She hated him so much that he wanted John the Baptist killed. But King Herod was like, no, we can't kill him. You know, I don't like what he's saying, but 
He's a godly man, the righteous man. And we see the story here. We kind of catch up with the story in Mark chapter 6, in verse number 17. He said, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. All right? And so instead of killing him, he threw John the Baptist in prison. And he said in verse 18, here's the reason. John's been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Verse 19. So Herodias, John, no, King Herod's new wife, knows a grudge against John, wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and a holy man. And, and if you take a step back, if you and I were to take a step back and just look at this story, you know, what do we see? I mean, you got John the Baptist. This is the man who's done nothing wrong. All he's done is point people to Jesus. Whenever anyone tells John the Baptist, hey, man, we want to follow you, John the Baptist said, no, 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 no. Don't follow me. Follow after him. Follow after Jesus. Follow after him. I'm unworthy to even untie the sandal that he's wearing. He must increase. I must decrease. That was John the Baptist. He stood up for truth. And here he is. He's in prison for doing what was right, standing up for Jesus. And if I'm John the Baptist, you know, if I'm in John the Baptist's sandals and, and I'm standing up for Jesus and, and, and I know that Jesus is doing all of these miracles all over the countryside, what do I think Jesus is going to do for me? Well, I think he's going to come and do a miracle at some point. At some point, I think Jesus is going to come and take care of business. I mean, after all, I am the cousin of Jesus. I mean, I'm related. I mean, and then I baptize. I baptize Jesus in the Jordan River. So surely, surely Jesus is going to come, at, you know, come for me at some point. And, then, and I just know he will. And so John's in prison just waiting for Jesus to come. And he ends up waiting and waiting and waiting. And Jesus never comes. I mean, Jesus could have sent two nine-foot-tall angels, you know, bust him out of prison. I mean, he could have done anything. Jesus just kept doing his thing, kept doing his ministry. And while, while that, John the Baptist is in prison. And he's waiting. And he's waiting. And then, after a while, John the Baptist started doing what I would do, and that is, he started questioning. He started questioning God, start asking questions. He, John the Baptist is wondering, wait a minute, is, is Jesus who I really thought he was? I mean, did, did I get this wrong? Did I prepare the way for the wrong person? I mean, this is the stuff that he's dealing with. And we have to go to another gospel to see this account. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Here's how Matthew reports on this. When, Matthew 11 verse 2 when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Now, are you the one who's to come? Or, or should we expect someone else? And, and I think here for a minute, I want to stop here. John, John is in prison. Jesus doesn't come and see him. 
And so John the Baptist, you know, sends his disciples to go find Jesus. And they tell John, and they come back with a report. And they tell John all the things that Jesus is doing. They say, man, we got to tell you what's going on, John the Baptist. I mean, Jesus is doing all the cool stuff. I mean, we went to this wedding, and he turned this water into wine. It's really cool. And, 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 and John the Baptist is like, okay, but where's my party trick? Where's my, where's my miracle? I mean, he did that for them. Where's my stuff? I'm doing prison. And we see this. And then John says, well, go ask Jesus. You know, are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? In other words, John said, I've been out, I have been out here, I have given my life pointing people to the way, preparing the way. But maybe I was wrong. Maybe, Jesus, I've been doing all this because and you haven't come for me because maybe you're not, you're not who I thought you were. And this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist questioning God. He questioning God. Imagine that. And here's the lesson I think we can learn from this point, at this point of the story, is that if you ever find yourself hurting, you ever find yourself feeling disappointed in God, just let God know. Just let God know. Pour, pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to him. He is, he, God is big enough. God is big enough to handle your hurt. David, you know, the psalmist David in the Old Testament. Now, we see this over and over and over again with David. He said, God, why are you not stopping my enemies? Now, why do you let them taunt me and mock me? You see that? In fact, one-third of the psalms, one-third of the psalms is basically a cry to God, just like what David just said. They're constantly crying out to God, why, why, God, why is this going on? We see this in the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah was always crying out to God, saying, God, why is everyone, no one is for me, everyone's against me, and sometimes I feel like you're not even here. Jesus on the cross, you know, he cried out to God. He unloaded on God, said, God, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? And there's John the Baptist. He said, man, I've been faithful in every moment of my life. And when I need you most, you pulled back. And I wonder, God, why have you done this? And here's what you need to understand about God. God loves you. And we need to know that. God loves you. And God understands your pain. He understands. And I believe with all my heart that God welcomes, God welcomes your questions. I believe that. I, I believe that he's big enough to handle your doubts. We have a big God. In fact, with everything in me, I believe this. I believe that our God would rather have you yell at him in disappointment and pain than to walk away in defeat and hurt. He wanted to take our pain to God. And if you ever find yourself disappointed, you know, hurt, disillusioned, God is big enough to handle it. He's big enough to understand your pain. 
And just like John the Baptist took it to Jesus, I'm here to say this, you can take it to him. You can take it to God. And so John the Baptist, he's wondering, you know, back to the story, he said, why is this happening? And he's doubting. And so he said, go find Jesus and ask him, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And, and how did Jesus reply? How did Jesus reply? I, let me tell you what Jesus did not say. Jesus didn't say, hey, of course I'm the one. Be cool. At midnight tonight, I'm going to break you out. It's going to happen. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, I'm paying for an attorney. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to get you out. He's going to fight for your defense. He didn't say that. This is how Jesus replied. Look at verse 4 and 5. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, go back. Report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then the next verse, it's almost hard to even figure this out. He said in verse number six, Jesus said, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And, and wait a minute, wait a minute. So John said, so you're healing other people you're doing miracles for strangers. And now you're telling me, blessed if I don't stumble on account of you? I mean, you didn't even come and tell me yourself. You sent my disciples back. You sent somebody to tell me you're doing all these miracles and all this stuff, and you don't even have a little proof power for me to get out of jail. Where's my miracle? I've been serving you all my life. This doesn't make sense. And so what happens? Well, after this, Jesus keeps pushing the message, doing ministry, miracles. John the Baptist continued to wait faithfully, trying to believe in prison. Now, some time had passed away. We don't know how long. At some point, Herod throws a party. And everybody's partying. They're getting drunk. And Herodias has a, you know, that's the new wife of Herod. He has a, um, a, a daughter. Uh, Herodias has a daughter named Salome. And Salome does a beautiful dance. And the king really realized that Herod loves to dance. It's the most beautiful dance I've ever seen. And, and, and so he said to Salome in front of the entire party, I said, I give you whatever you want. Whatever you want. You can have it. I'll give it to you. That was, the, that was the most amazing dance I've ever seen. And here's what Herod's thinking. Okay, let me just get in the head of Herod. Herod knows that this was probably a teenager, and so this teenager is probably going to ask for an iPhone. <laughs> Maybe two front seat tickets to a Justin Bieber concert. I don't know. So Shalom really excited. She said, hey, I got mom. He goes to mom, Herodias. He said, hey, the king says, I can have anything I want. What, what do you think I should ask for? And, and, and Herodias, she tells Shalom, she said, go ask for the head of John the Baptist. And so the girl goes to the drunk king, and she said, hey, I want the head of John the Baptist. 
and the king says, all right. And this is where the story gets crazy. If you've never heard of this story, you're going to love the story here. It gets nuts. See, the guards are on the way to kill John the Baptist, and all of a sudden, an earthquake comes. And an angel of the Lord appears with two flaming swords and, and strikes everybody blind except for Herodias. And, she said, hey, you, and an angel said to Herodias, hey, you have to see what's going to happen here. So your eyes are going to be open. And then under the fire of the Lord, everybody dies. And, and at that moment, the shackles falls off John the Baptist's arms and hands. The, the smoke starts to build up. The music and the orchestra starts to build up. And John the Baptist comes walking out of the smoke in front of the entire party. They're all dead, but he's got a blue face like Mel Gibson on Braveheart. And he yells out, freedom! <laughs> See, that's how I would write this story. <laughs> if you know your Bible, that's not in the story. Here's what happened. First number 26 in Mark chapter 6, we go back to Mark. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner, dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her, so he immediately, immediately sent an executioner with others to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. You see, it didn't happen here. Listen to me. It, it, it didn't happen for the guy who faithfully served the Lord. I mean, Jesus had the power to rescue John, but he didn't. Instead, the guard went to see John in prison, and he came back with John the Baptist's head in a bowl. And if I can be honest with you, and, and I hope you don't call me a heretic, I just don't like the ending of the story. And I think most of us here say, man, I don't either. It doesn't make sense. No, when, when I read it, I just don't like it. But here's what we need to do to this story. And I hope that this will bring clarity and help us here. What we need to do is to step back from the story, the story 2,000 years old, we need to step back. We need to ask ourselves a couple of questions here. What was John's greatest desire? What was John's calling? What was John's purpose? Well, I think we know this. John's purpose, John's calling, was to point people to Jesus. He was to prepare the way of the Lord. Let me ask you, did he do that? Did that happen? Yes, it did. What, what was God's purpose? Well, God's purpose was to send his son to die on the cross so that we can be the children of God. Did God accomplish his purpose? Yes, he did. So we can all agree that John the Baptist saw what he wanted to accomplish, but he didn't like the way that it got done. It just wasn't fulfilled according to John's plan. And I think we can all agree on that. It just didn't come to pass the way John had planned, but God's will came to pass. Just not the way that John the Baptist had planned it. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in, the, in John the Baptist's heart, 
But it was the Lord's purpose that prevailed. Many of the plans in your heart, in your heart, but it's the purpose of God that prevails. And because God's word is true and because God is faithful, I don't have to understand what's going on to continue to trust in God. Whether I know it or not, whether I feel it or not, I know that God is on the move, that God is up to something. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. I love this statement here. I hope you'll embrace this in your heart. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. In, in fact, you don't even have to like the plan. You don't even have to like the plan to trust God's purpose. Right now, some of you, you've got some very personal, urgent issues going on in your life. You don't like it. You don't like the plan. You don't like how it's falling out, falling down and, and, and how it's rolling out in your life. But you can still trust God's purpose. Some of you are praying for somebody that's sick, that you love, and they're just not getting better. Some of you will have a holiday this year with an empty chair at the table because someone you love, you prayed for, and, and, and they didn't end up making it. You knew God could have healed them, and they weren't healed. Some of you, you, you work really hard, and you're good at your job, and you thought everything was going well, and then one day you showed up to work, and there was a bunch of layoffs, and you happened to be one of them, and you're trying to figure out what to do next. And you're wondering what's happening, and how you're going to get through this. Someone here, you might be dealing with chronic pains. And you've been everywhere all the time. You've asked for a first opinion, second, third opinion, fourth opinion. No one seems to have answers, and you're in pain. Looking for treatment, you prayed, prayed. Everybody prayed for you, and the pain still won't go away. And I'm here to say this, that you don't have to understand the plan to still trust God's purpose. He is still good. He is still good. You may ask God, what's the plan? And God may say, just trust in my purpose. Just trust in my purpose. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. My faith is no longer my plan. My faith is in God's purpose. His ways are higher. His ways are wiser. My life is not the center. I'm here to serve God and to glorify him through and through. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose that prevails. And that's why we don't put our faith in our plans, but we continue to trust God's purpose. And so you have a grudge against God. You have a grudge against God, and I pray that you have the faith to know that God is on the move, that God is in control of the story. Even in the darkest night, I love what Louis Giglio says, even in the darkest night, God is working for your good and his glory. Don't lose hope. And I don't know who it is that's in the room, or maybe you're listening online, and you're hearing this, but you might find yourself this morning disappointed by God. Perhaps maybe you're a little mad at him. You feel like you've been hurt by God or disappointed. You're holding a grudge. I, I would invite you to do two things. I would invite you to, number one, just unload on him. Unload on him. Tell him from the depths of your heart. Cry out from the anguish and the pain of your spirit and your heart. Tell God how you feel. 
Tell them. Unload on God. But number two, choose to trust in him. Continue to trust in him. You might just tell them this. God, I'm not going to hold a grudge against you anymore. What I wanted you to do and you didn't do it, I choose to let that go. Though you didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted you to, God, I still choose to trust in you. Not because of what I see, but because of who you are. I trust in you. You're a good, good dad. You're a good, good father. God, you are so good. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. And I hope you understand this, that our God says he will never leave you. Our God says he will never forsake you. Our God is still here. Even if it's silence, he is not absent. Even when you don't feel it, he's still on the move. I pray you choose by faith to let him back in. Let go of the hurt and choose to trust God. I'm going to ask the band to come up here. I'm about to sing a song in just a few minutes. I'm going to pray. The song that you're going to sing is a song that may not be an easy song for you to sing. I pray that you will wrestle with this and the sound, God, you're so good. God, you are so good. In the next few minutes, we say, may this song be a prayer. A prayer to God. Say, God, you're so good. And it may not feel so good right now. You may not feel, you may not be in a good situation and life doesn't come together and the miracle doesn't seem like there's one available. But all through that, I pray that you will wrestle through it. Say, God, I don't understand the plan. My plan is to do this and this and that. But God, it's not about my plan. It's about your purpose. And your purpose will prevail. And I'm going to trust in your purpose. Because he's a good, good God. Not for what we see, but because who he is.